Hello and welcome to Watching China in Europe, a podcast from the German Marshall Fund that explores Europe's relationship with China and transatlantic cooperation in responding to China. I'm your host, Noah Barkin, and today we are talking to Raphael Glucksmann, a member of the European Parliament and chair of a special committee in the Parliament that is looking into foreign interference and disinformation. Mr. Glucksmann is also an outspoken supporter of the Uyghurs, the Muslim minority in China's Xinjiang region, and he is one of several members of the European Parliament who in late March was put on a sanctions list by Beijing. That move has sent a chill through EU-China relations, raising doubts about the future of the CHI, an investment agreement that Brussels clinched with China late last year, which still needs to be approved by the parliament to come into force. Mr. Glucksmann, thanks for joining me. Thank you for the invitation. And I'm very glad to speak with you. I'd like to start out with the sanctions issue. What message do you think China was sending by targeting MEPs like yourself, as well as lawmakers from EU member states, academics, and some prominent European research institutions? I think what we are witnessing would be called by the ancient Greeks hubris. This is the moment when the Chinese power is so self-confident that they think they can reduce to silence European institutions by sanctioning them. And I mean, we all have doubts about our democratic systems I mean, in US or in Europe. We all have criticism. But this uh, sequence has shown what remains the main difference between authoritarian regime and our failed democracies. We have sanctioned at the European Union level, but also at the level of our allies, those who are actually perpetrating crimes against humanity in China. And as a response, China has sanctioned Wu, those who are actually protesting against crime against humanity. And this is the main difference. And that's something that we should always keep in mind when we are frustrated and angry at our government. And the way China responded has shown that we have reached a momentum when actually nothing is taken seriously by the Beijing regime in what we do, because they feel that as Xi Jinping has said, history is working for them. And that's the real thinking in, in Beijing right now. They think that Western democracies are declining. And sometimes we think it too. And that their system is actually on the rise. So they authorize themselves to do that. Maybe it was too early. Maybe it was a mistake. But that depends on us. How will we respond to this? We have right now a debate in the European Parliament on what should be our response when we are treated this way. Because as you mentioned, elected member of parliaments were sanctioned, but also the institution per se of the uh, subcommittee on human rights is under Chinese sanction. 
And basically what China is sending as a signal is that they sanction the Committee on Human Rights, but not the Committee on Trade. So they agree to discuss with it about trade, but not about human rights. And they basically select inside our institution <laughs> the people they want to speak to. So the question we have to respond now is a question not about China, but about ourselves. Will we allow a foreign regime to actually dictate our agenda and to select the person among our institutions that it is speaking to? And, and this question is, is, is in the open now. You met with French Foreign Minister Jean-Yves Le Drian after the sanctions were imposed. Can you tell us what you discussed with him and how you think the French government has responded to these sanctions so far? So first, I welcome his support and, and the fact that he, of course, we are not from the same party, but when it comes to defend our democracy, we can stand together and uh, especially against foreign attacks. So uh, I came to him and we had a very lengthy discussion, but not so much on the sanction, but on what it means and the way we are prepared or not prepared to deal with the China issue. And I must say he was quite shaken, not only by the sanction, but also by his meeting with Secretary of State Blinken, because basically the message that he received was an alarming one, asking Europeans to put their things together and actually define a China strategy. And the message that the Secretary of State has brought to, to Europe was that, well, we are late. And uh, actually, we are not sure this time to be able to, to win and, 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 and not because China is impossible to, China's threat is impossible to overcome, but because uh, we are starting late to put our acts together. And because uh, uh, when we spoke about uh, Soviet Union, for instance, you, you knew that there was a bluff, that Soviet Union was deeply weak and that it was bluffing, that most of its power was ideological, communication and military ones, but that its economy was weak and that the numbers were not on, on the side of the Soviet regime. When it comes to China, it's quite different. It's really a um, patient buildup. And the, the fact that the Secretary of State was so worried makes the French government worry. And therefore, everybody, when I came to the Quai was working on the China strategy. I mean, if I am honest, I was a bit shocked that we have to wait for Secretary Blinken to come to us and tell us that it's quite worrisome to understand how worrisome it is and to start working uh, seriously on it. But I think that there is a rising awareness now uh, in Europe and in France too. So let's see what it will produce, but for sure, and this ideology of we don't have adversaries or systemic rivals in the world, that's the end of history. I mean, something that worked very well in Europe, uh, people were really believing in that, and that we, if we ex extend tra trade, then we will export also peaceful relations and democracy. And what China has taught us is that you can open yourself to trade, 
you can enrich your population, you can have a rising middle class and slide towards more and more authoritarianism at the same time. And uh, people are less free under Xi Jinping than they were under Hu Jintao, despite the fact that they are richer. So this is, this is really a, what I call it. It's a systemic challenge because it's, it's not only a challenge in terms of uh, material rivalry, but it's also a philosophical challenge. Yeah. It, it does look like Paris and other big European capitals are sort of in de-escalation mode with Beijing. Today, uh, as we speak, Germany is holding bilateral government consultations with Beijing. In the past weeks, uh, Germany's Angela Merkel and France's Emmanuel Macron have held calls with China's President Xi Jinping. Uh, and the readouts from those calls make no mention of the sanctions. What, what do you make of this? I think we were all positively surprised that the EU could actually push forward these sanctions. And the problem we have now is that, you know, when you are not used to do something quite brave, then you can start to be afraid of what you have done. And the mood right now is, is divided and it's not all over the places, but it's a temptation of, of hoping that it will go away. Uh, the idea that, my God, what did we do? I mean, are we seriously going to pick up this fight? Maybe if we shut up, then China will forget that we ever had these sanctions. And that's a very dangerous mood. Because obviously, if we have passed these sanctions, it's because you had a crime against humanity and because you need checks on this regime. And uh, if, if now the mood is that let's hope China did not notice that we had this sanction or forget that we had this sanction, then we console the very fact that we have this sanction because the, <laughs> the goal of sanctions is that the, actually the persons you are sanctioning are noticing it. Otherwise, why do you do it? So that's a very dangerous mood. And it's based on, I think, two, two, two things. First thing is obviously uh, we are not used to it and we, uh, we don't have the mentality for it. And, uh, and it's very complicated for your European leaders to find themselves in a, uh, rapport de force and a confrontational mood. And the second thing is that you have very strong private interest, especially in Germany, uh, coming to uh, our leaders and telling them, well, guys, okay, but uh, let's stop here because uh, too much is at stake. And when you know that Volkswagen, for instance, sells 40% of its new cars in China, worldwide, 40%, that uh, their value chain is full of China and that their market, growing market, is China. And when you look at the numbers in Siemens or other big German companies, you understand that basically what's going on now in the European debate that you have a kind of Faustian pact, which is quite strange, and that should be studied by historians, between European capitalism and the Chinese Communist Party. 
So basically shareholders and, and big bosses of big companies are now becoming the ambassadors of Chinese interests, Chinese regime inside the European debate. And in the European Parliament, by the way, when we, we, when we speak about Uyghurs or Hong Kong, or, or when we speak about the trade sanctions, we don't see lobbyists coming hired by the Chinese government. We never meet them. They don't even have lobbyists lobbying field, I guess. We see lobbyists for, from various governments, Moroccan government, for instance. But Chinese government, which is the main issue right now in the parliament, we don't see them because they don't need lobbyists. Do you think Germany is the main problem when it comes to European-China policy? Or is it broader than that? It's broader than that, but because we see it everywhere, this weight of, of, of interest, private interest. But in Germany, it's stronger than anywhere else. So we have the same tendencies all, all across Europe. But in Germany, it's, 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 it's clearer, stronger, and also because Germany is a dominant force. So it has more impact on the European agenda as well. How, how, how do you, I mean, one, one issue that I think Europe has been struggling with for years is how to talk to Beijing. There seems to be a consensus that Europe needs to speak with one voice. But what does that mean in practice? Uh, there, there are 27 countries in the EU. They can't all speak to China at the same time. The EU institutions alone do not have the, the foreign policy weight. Uh, do, you, do you think Germany and France should be leading the way as they seem to be uh, doing lately with, with Merkel and Macron uh, talking with Xi Jinping? So, of course, the Chinese regime has a, has a rule like, like other regimes to divide rules, so they want, would love not to have one unique European voice. We have to keep this unity. And of course, France and Germany have a leading role in defining this policy and this common voice. But we should be very careful with that because if you let basically the German chancellor, as long as it's not a green chancellor, uh, uh, define the European voice on China, then the voice you will get is the voice of German interest. And this is not the general interest of Europe. And, and really, you, have, you asked me about this German specificity, and you have one, I must say. It's because they were smarter than the others, so that's, it's not a blame. They took the China uh, uh, turnaround much quicker. It, it goes to the 90s and Helmut Kohl. And, and the German capitalism really connected to China earlier than the others. And so the big German companies are working in China and, and have based their business model on the cooperation with China much earlier and in much deeper manner than, than for instance, French companies. And therefore, they are more dependent on China than other European countries. And when you take the, the example of the CHI, I mean, it was like really basic. We were in holidays at the trade committee because I'm a member of the trade committee. And suddenly we knew, of course, we had reports on the negotiations of the CHI for, for, for a long period. And, and, and discussions were progressing slowly. 
But nobody ever told us that we were close to a deal. And suddenly, on 29th of December, we are all summoned for, for an emergency meeting where we are told, it's done, we signed. So let's discuss it. And, and we were all surprised. And no matter what we think about China relation or trade or free trade or whatever you want or investment agreements in general, be it socialist or, 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 or pro-market liberals or, or conservative, everybody was quite surprised. Think, but why did we sign? I mean, so quickly. And the response was quite easy. Two days after you had the end of the German presidency of the EU. And uh, basically, Angela Merkel told the commission that the negotiations were fine and that we had a deal. And why did she tell so? Because she had made the promise to uh, her own big companies that, that the deal will be signed before the end of the German presidency. So no matter if the text was not finished, if you have uh, questions that were left aside, if you, if it, it, it had to be signed. And that shows something very strange about how you, you have the European agenda that is created because actually no other country was involved. Commission and Germany. But, but I, I, would, I would push back on that because I think Emmanuel Macron swung pretty quickly behind uh, uh, Merkel on, on, on the investment agreement and uh, no other country stood in the way. Exactly. Um, and that's the right question. And you are right, but it's not a pushback. Actually, it's something that speaks very clearly about how, how, how the agenda is, is, is set. Because Emmanuel Macron was not part of the, of the negotiation in any form, any way, no French official, whatever. I, I guess French were maybe called one day before the members of the Inta committee to tell that we have a deal. And, um, and, and, but he asked for the uh, connecting number to the Zoom uh, with Xi Jinping and Angela Merkel. But look at this picture. It was quite strange, honestly, because you had the European officials, you had Angela Merkel. Why? Of course, because she's a true deal maker in this process. But formally, she was the president of the EU, you know, with the turning presidency. What was Emmanuel Macron doing in this, in this Zoom? For what reason President of France was present in this meeting? Only reason is because he requested the connection numbers because he didn't want to, um, people to think that uh, he was not part of the deal because it was going to be such a strong debate, especially in France, and he would be accused of just following German interests, and that was a disaster. So he had to either oppose the deal, which he was not ready to do, or make as if he was the one negotiating it, which was a fake news, basically, because we all know that it's not true. So that's the situation. But the very strange thing is when you speak to them privately, French ministers, all of them, they, they don't support the deal. And that's the same with every step in every government, except the German one. So you have a big issue and the Kai debate will be, I think it will be a debate on the text itself, on our relation to China, but it will be also a debate on 
I mean, what is actually the European Union? Who are we and how do we shape decisions in, in, in European Union? I want to talk a little bit about your work on the Special Committee on Foreign Interference, especially in relation to China. Josep Borrell, the EU's top diplomat, appeared before your committee in early March. Uh, and I want to play a clip from that hearing. We have very, very, very little resources to fight against disinformation coming from China, for example. Like, I'm not going to tell you how many resources we have because it's evidently something confidential, but uh, not the required ones. And we don't have the required ones because we don't have a mandate. Uh, it will be very happy to have a mandate and the resources needed to implement this mandate. So Mr. Burrell is pretty clear here. He says he has neither the mandate nor the resources to fight disinformation from China. Do you agree with him? I fully agree with him. And people were shocked. I remember during this hearing and this session, people were shocked and then people were divided. Whether it was a smart move to say it or, or it was a mistake, a blunder. And I still didn't make up my mind about it. But in fact, I think he, he, he in any case, even if it was a mistake, he was right to alert us and to make us react because what he said was basically the absolute truth. We took time to understand that we had a Russian issue when it comes to uh, disinformation and interferences in Europe. A lot of time and we, we actually let the Russian regime even dictate some results that were quite impactful for, for, for the destiny of Europe when you do think about their role in Brexit, for instance. But as always, we are late and we just start to understand the level of interferences of China in the European Union. And it can seem crazy, but the truth is that we don't have people working on it, working on, on, on the China, Chinese interferences. We have very few staff working on it. And, and, and after his, his remarks and our reactions, people start in the council to actually uh, work on the mandate that will uh, enable us to give the means to uh, have a coherent defense of our democracies. But that's the way it works in Europe. I mean, basically, you have people working on foreign interferences and they are good people. And they ask for means and for mandate. But as long as there is no crisis, basically the council doesn't do anything about it and postpone the discussion because it has other things to deal with. And also because it's a political problem. Because once you say we need to give a mandate and we need to give the means, is uh, you make clear that uh, China is a rival that's actually attacking our institutions. And this has political price. Does that mean you expect uh, the European Council to give Mr. Borrell uh, and EU institutions a mandate to look into Chinese disinformation? Yes, of course. 
I, not only we expect that, but if we don't get that, then then there will be a, a crisis uh, with the parliament, and and that's that's for us very clear. That you can't uh, you can have discussions if you want on the way you deal in diplomatic terms and trade terms with China, and the same with Russia, and the same with Turkey, and you have various options. But there is one thing where you can't have a discussion is our institutions are sacred and our democracies cannot be battlefields for foreign powers. So on this, you don't have discussion. And if council is not ready to actually give the mandate, then there will be a crisis with the parliament because on this front, I mean, it's from conservatives to the socialist, everybody agrees. You say there, there will be a crisis if, 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 the, if EU institutions don't get a mandate to look into Chinese disinformation. Your, your committee will be producing a report with recommendations on what the EU can do better in terms of fighting foreign interference and disinformation. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's, it's fairly early days, but is it safe to say that you will be pushing in that report for a, a greater focus on China? Of course, not only on China, by the way, but of course, a, a greater focus on China. But I'm actually, I think there will not be a crisis because I'm confident that we will get this mandate. And uh, the committee we I'm chairing, the, we will produce our report recommendations uh, during the French presidency. And until now, the signals that we have received that it will be followed up right away by by decisions and and actions from the executive branch. So let's I mean let's not uh, create a crisis where there is no crisis for the moment. And we all understand, and it was true also for the parliament, uh, that for too long period we were sleeping uh, when it comes to foreign interference all of us, including the council and the parliament, and that now there is a a, a will to wake up. So um, I think we will get the mandates, we will get the needs and the recommendation. I mean, not all of them, obviously, but will be followed. And you have to understand something because it's if people are listening to us, not only from Europe, but also from US or others, it's very hard to understand the European system, but you have 27 different legislations, 27 different approaches on financing of political party, on what corruption means, on whether or not you can buy foreign uh, officials, or whether or not the case of Gerhard Schroeder going to work for Gazprom after deciding to build Nord Stream is it's a problem or not for your democracy. You have 27 ways to approach it. So we will have common recommendation, but then you will need to have a discussion between the 27 people, how is it translated to the national legislation? I mean, in the European Parliament, you can't say that's the law for everybody. And from now on, no political party will be able to receive funds from abroad, or no official will be able to go and join the board of Huawei in the next 10 days. I mean, so it, 
we have to be a bit patient with the European system. I'm always frustrated, of course, and everybody is. But at the same time, that's the way it works here. And, and we cannot break it because we still have member states. I mean, we are not like the US uh, with a strong federal government and legislation. So, so a year from now, your expectation is that the EU is taking Chinese influencing, interference, disinformation much more seriously than it is now, and that uh, this uh, focus on, on, on China uh, is going to be much more embedded in uh, EU structures than it is now. Yeah, of course. I think it already started, by the way, but uh, if it goes the way we are told it will go, and we hope it will go, of course. And what we have to understand is that it's not a, a one-year or two-year issue. It's a much, long term, much longer-term issue. And we are in this difficult relation for, for a very long period. So one year is an eternity, and at the same time, it's a very short uh, period. And when we are speaking about Chinese interference, it's not like only things that are directly connected to public debate or uh, political uh, elections or scene. We are also touching upon strategic infrastructures. What do we do with 5G and Huawei? I mean, these are debates that have huge repercussions for the economic life of Europeans. And uh, our discussions till now on this infrastructure are very complicated for one reason that first, for two reasons, first, you, you have had strategic mistakes from the European uh, leadership until now. For instance, when you actually impose structural reforms on Greece and push them to sell their ports to China, you understand that then you have an issue when it comes to a Chinese policy coming from Greece and the same with Portugal. I mean, basically the way we handled the financial crisis 2008 and its aftermath was a disaster in terms, I'm not speaking here from a ideological economic point of view, from strategic autonomy and, and sovereignty of Europe, it was a disaster. And now we have to pay the price for it. And, and, and the more you go deep in the issue, the more you understand how problematic our situation is when it comes to the uh, Chinese ownership of strategic infrastructure. And the second problem we are facing is this reluctance of some countries to uh, accept that you cannot distinguish the world of market and the world of politics. And that even if Huawei is actually producing the best offer and the quickest offer and the cheapest offer for your 5G infrastructure, then you have other discussion coming in than just the game of the market. It's, do we want a company that is so interlinked with the Chinese regime to actually 
control our uh, technological infrastructure and build. And, and this is, the debate is moving forward. And on this, I must say that the French have a much more rational, despite all my criticism, a much more rational approach than other governments that are actually, uh, I think, very naive. And that's a nice way to put it. I think we'll end it there, Mr. Glucksmann. Thank you uh, for taking the time to talk to me today. Thank you so much. And I, I think it won't be the last time because we are in this for a long period. Thanks also to everyone for listening in. Don't miss my Watching China in Europe newsletter each month and stay tuned for more discussions about the Europe-China relationship on Watching China in Europe podcast in the months ahead. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Out of Order, a German Marshall Fund podcast. The show is produced by Zachary Tarrant and me, Sydney Simon. This podcast is part of the Democracy Group.